So I hope that you are ready to buckle up and hear this story probably in a way you never have before. See, when I say that this is a story of healing, hope, inclusion, and purpose, some of you might be thinking, is that even possible in our world today? People have been divided politically, racially, and culturally. Age-old disputes over geography and political power have threatened stability in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. There are parts of our country that are divided and, and, and at odds over understandings of race, gender, and sexuality. Even within our United Methodist Church, differences in theology and what it means to love one another has been tearing apart our denomination on multiple levels. But in today's story, we will see how Jesus comes to bring unity over the differences that sometimes we hold sacred. Jesus offers living water, love, hope, purpose, salvation for eternity that transcends our arguments and our debates. His journey that's chronicled in John chapter 4 begins with an unlikely shortcut. Have you ever taken a shortcut before? Verse 5 begins, He came to to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which is near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. Now, Jesus goes through Samaria. We've got a map coming up here. Why? You look at the green route, okay, and you'll see that the quickest way to get from where he was going from Judea in the south, where it says Ephraim, up to Nazareth and into Galilee, the quickest way was to go through Samaria. It's the way Google Maps would take you, right? And it's not the friendliest way, especially for a group of Jewish guys, okay? They would have taken the dotted path there on your right. It's not the most traditional way because it would take them through some people they don't agree with or get along with very well. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's like when you punch in the GPS and you want to go across the city and it suggests that you take Silver Spring or Capitol Drive and then you decide, no, I think I'm going to pick up 94 and take the highway over. His disciples thought it was going to be a shorter route. But for Jesus, there are no unintentional trips. There's no detours. Everything has a purpose. So verse 7 tells tells us that a Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. So it's midday. At this point, most people have already drawn water. It's the first thing they do in the morning. They come to the well when it's cool in the day. They quench their thirst. They bathe. They come at the cool part of the day because they're going to carry their water jugs back for water that was meant for cooking or drinking. Everyone did this except her. We don't even know her name. I imagine she prefers it that way. 
We call this story Jesus and the Samaritan Woman, or the woman at the well, in a way that highlights her anonymity. She comes at noon to avoid people, to avoid judgment. She is often looked at but not seen, labeled yet nameless. She remains unknown to everyone. And now this Jewish man dares to start a conversation. You see, that didn't happen. Jewish men didn't just talk to women. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? Raise your hand. You guys know Billy Graham? I think that used to be a pretty popular guy. He's been called America's pastor. He was a big TV personality. And he made famous also a, the, what's called the Billy Graham rule. He had rules that he lived by, and some of them were very specific. And one of the Billy Graham rules was that he would never meet with a woman other than his wife alone. He wanted to save his reputation. He wanted to make sure that he was above any appearance of evil. Now that seems to make sense, right? Except because of that, there wouldn't be any women who would be in leadership in his ministry. And the Jewish rabbinical rules were, were very similar. They had a warning. Men were not to initiate conversation with women other than their family. So Jesus risks his reputation. But it's not just for a cup of water. Jesus does this so he can offer this woman something greater than temporary relief of thirst. The Samaritan woman asked Jesus, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, if you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave, us this, he gave this well to us and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So now we're talking about Jews and Samaritans. You know, we hear about Samaritans all the time. Perhaps you think about Samaritan, you think it's a good thing, right? The good Samaritan. You know, Jesus told a story about a Samaritan, so we always kind of feel like that's a positive relationship. But Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The scripture says that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And that is an understatement. There are translations that actually would say that Jews and Samaritans didn't share the same utensils. The idea that Jesus would share a cup with a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman, was a cultural taboo. For eight to nine hundred years, there was this rift between the two cultures. They put the map up. They're already ready for me. God bless them. See, you can see Samaria. That's kind of, looks like in the middle of our map, but that's actually the northern part of the people of God around the 8th century BC. And south would be Judea. And when the Assyrians conquered these people, because the people of God in the Old Testament were being conquered all the time, they separated these two groups. That was their strategy. And when they separated the northern kingdom, they intermarried with the Samaritan people. 
The Samaritans didn't actually have a choice in the matter. But because of this, the Jews considered Samaritans to be less than, half as worthy, not clean. In fact, because of this interaction that Jesus was having with the Samaritan woman, he could be considered ceremonially unclean. But Jesus, Jesus believes that this conversation is worth the risk. Last week we looked at John uh, 3, where, where Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus. And in that passage is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And here, Jesus is clarifying that the love he was sent to share transcends both gender and culture. So Jesus answers the woman, everyone who drinks this water, meaning the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. That the water that I give will become in those who drink, who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right. To say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You have had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. Well, this is where it gets juicy, doesn't it? This is where we read this and say, oh, scandal time. She's had five husbands, and then she's living with this guy. It's not even her husband. What? A lot of us have misconstrued this. And for a long time, this has been interpreted to mean that Jesus is revealing some sin of this woman, that her secrets are now bare. We often think that Jesus is having this conversation to kind of expose her, maybe shame her into following him. But that's not what's happening at all. Jesus doesn't have this conversation with this woman just so he can judge her. We need some cultural context to understand what's going on here. Women in this time and culture are at the mercy of men. Without a man, a woman could not own property, have a business, trade livestock. We have no idea why this woman is in this particular position. Was she forced to marry, marry young? Probably. Did she outlive one or more of her husbands? Possibly. The Jewish law said that only husbands could initiate divorce, which required no explanation or justification. This is a woman who is likely abused, mistreated, judged. According to Karen Reeder, New Testament professor at Westmount College, widowed or divorced women were expected to remarry. And cohabitation was acceptable alternative to marriage in the first century. A lot of times they weren't allowed to have more than five marriages. Her marital history was simply the consequence of her time and place. Let me put it this way. If she was in this same position in our culture, where she had no control over her situation, was at the mercy of the people around her, we might say she was being trafficked. 
Jesus speaks to her with compassion. You know, sometimes the Bible is like an email. I mean, sometimes it's rich with detail. We know exactly what's going on. But sometimes you have to read the tone. You're like, ah, what is this? Is this person mad at me? What's going on? Jesus is not being authoritarian here. He has compassion. Jesus sees her hurt and her pain. Jesus sees her value. Even when her neighbors shun her, even when people talk about her and not to her, even as people look past her, Jesus sees her, Jesus understands her, and his offer of living water still stands. Jesus is saying, I know what's going on, and I'm offering you living water. And unlike some other scriptures, there's nowhere where Jesus says, go and sin no more. When Jesus heals certain people, sometimes you'll see it, go and sin no more. That's not going on here. This woman is not responsible for what's happened to her. The woman said, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Yeah. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him in this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now we get to the big theological debate. The big rift between these two groups. Where and how they would worship God was kind of a big deal. Samaritans were not welcome to go into the temple. And they lived around this mountain where they believed they were to worship God. And Jesus recognizes these, the, or these theological issues. And he renders them all irrelevant. And then he says that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the spirit of the law. The intent of the law, right? We know that the law has a literal meaning, but we know why someone made that law, right? The, art, the intent of our heart, Jesus is saying, is what matters. It doesn't matter where we worship. It's that we give God all of ourselves. That we try to please God by loving others. That we do our best to live in harmony with other people. In spirit and in truth. So instead of telling her that she's doing it wrong. And building barriers. Jesus tears down walls put up by religious rules. Jesus welcomes her to worship God, not on a mountain or in a temple, but in freedom, in spirit, and in truth, with her whole self. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. One, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, 
He will teach everything to us. This, is, this next part's a pretty big deal here. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. I am. A simple two-word phrase that God used to reveal God's self to Moses at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. The significance of this part of the conversation might be easy to miss. You see, last week we talked about Jesus and Nicodemus, and Jesus didn't even tell Nicodemus this stuff. I am the Messiah. Because of her theological background, she understood that God would fulfill the old promise with Moses and then usher in a new promise. For her, living water now takes on a new meaning. With this phrase, this woman here becomes one of the few with special knowledge of Jesus. She's one of the disciples. And and she's going to go about the business of being a disciple. She knows her mission now. She wastes no time sharing this good news. Now the rest of our story, the rest of the scripture... We're going to contrast what this woman does and how she interacts with the confusion of the disciples. If you've ever wondered why the disciples like see Jesus do a miracle and then freak out because there's rain, this is for you. So just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and they were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar. I think it's this one right here. She leaves it there. Just like probably the first disciples left their nets when they went to follow Jesus. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and they were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. We just got back from the grocery store. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying, four more months and then it's time to harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that the one that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work hard for. Others worked hard and you will share in their hard work. Jesus already spent more time explaining this kind of analogy to the disciples than he explained to the woman about living water. All right? Just wanted to point that out. If anybody thinks men are more stubborn than women, I'm just saying. Um... Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word. When she testified, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. This is not a very good shortcut, is it? 
Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the savior of the world. Have you ever heard the phrase leading people to Jesus? She literally does that. She gets what Jesus is about. She gets what the mission is. According to the Christian Orthodox tradition, the Samaritan woman's story at Jacob's well was so powerful that many became followers of Jesus, including her five sisters and two sons. The disciples heard of her experience with Jesus and came to baptize her. And you know what they did? They gave her a name. Okay, so whenever you hear this story, think about this name. Fotini, meaning enlightened one. Thus, the name of the Greek Greek Orthodox Church on the West Bank in Palestine is St. Fotini the Samaritan. Deep inside this church is the ancient site of Jacob's Well in Samaria, which has been visited by Christian pilgrims since the early 4th century. Jesus breaks the boundaries of religion and culture and even goes so far as to ask a favor of a Samaritan woman. And in doing so, he offers living water. Living water is that Jesus sees us, knows us, and loves us. How many people see you, know you, and love you? That's like the trifecta. Okay? It's kind of a big deal. No matter where we are, where we're from, what we've done, Jesus has come to save us and save us for a purpose. Living water is meant to be shared. So let me ask you a question. How do we, like the Samaritan woman who leaves her water jug behind, How do we stop going back to old wells to find hope and significance? Can we break the boundaries of religious and cultural biases to accept and learn from others different from us? It's my prayer that we understand and experience the inclusive promise of God and extend that promise, extend the love of Jesus in a way that changes our lives and the lives of everyone we encounter. I pray that that would be your journey this Lent season. Amen.